Hi, I'm Ryan. And I'm JP. And And we we are Socially socially isolated. Isolated. You guys did pick a second movie, which I think I must have seen when it first came out, but rewatching it last night felt like a first viewing. Um, And that's Dick Tracy. So I feel like it's probably been a long time since people have watched Dick Tracy, but this one was kind of a revelation for me. I thought it was wonderful. I thought the, the, the art direction was amazing. I just was really not expecting to like this movie, but um, uh, Dyer, why don't you take us through this one real quick, mostly because I could not follow the plot and I didn't really care to. I was having a good time just watching it. So I'm going to make sure someone else explains the actual plot in simplistic terms. Oh, no, this is going to be dangerous. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to totally fail on this. So JP, I want you to feel uh, like you can jump in and sure. let me know. Because I also feel like I did not follow the plot all that well. Yet as a kid, for some reason, I love this film. And yeah, but essentially we're, we're, in, we're 1938 era um Dick Tracy is a detective who has obviously the technology of the time, which is a radio watch that I mean, everybody had back in 1938. Of course. Um, I mean, in the, in the basic plot is Dick Tracy is going up against all the mobsters in town, uh, played by none other than Al Pacino. Uh, and they have all these great names. I think Lip Manless is like one of my, my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have to remind me on some of these uh, names as well. But like uh, Madonna is, of course, in the mix of this, is she good? Is she bad? Obviously, Dick Tracy gets in some little romantic rendezvous with her. Um, and then, you know, of course, there's got to be a kid in there for all the kids to relate to. So uh, there's an orphan that, you know, it was great. That Tracy kid was along. great. Right. And helps. And I'm trying to think, was that the same actor that was in Hook? Yes. Like and, and, it was. And, and what loyal about listeners will recognize him from our last watch, which was Can't Hardly Wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember. JP, I just totally, uh, I think, sped through all like the the basic points. <laughs> I think that was actually what was going on. Like, what was ex- actually the criminal enterprise that was going on that Dick Tracy was trying to disrupt? I think it was mainly the mob. So he, he represented a de- being a detective in a large city that was trying to bring down the mob. And the, or, or well, at the time, there were just criminals. But uh, Al Pacino's character, Big Boy Caprice, was trying to create a mob, um, a, a organized mafia of sorts of all of the little kingpins that were around town. So they would create this family that would control racketeering, that would control um, money laundering, that would control all sorts of things, um, including uh, nightclubs, speakeasies. You know, this would have been the era of prohibition. And so they were to control gambling and, and alcohol and stuff like that. And so uh, Dick Tracy was the hero of, of this era that tried to bring down the criminals. Of course, in order to bring down criminals, you sometimes have to connect with, uh, with criminal activity. And hence comes um, Madonna's character, which is... Something Mahoney. Yeah. I believe it was... Breath- uh, breathless. Was breathless, yeah. And slash the blank. I don't know if that's ruining something for people, but you know, it's been it's been at least 30 years. Okay. So if you don't know the twist by now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though I will say that I do remember this and I have a picture. I'll, I'll try to remember so we can post it on, on our social media. I have a picture of me at Disneyland with like a you know, whatever backdrop you can photograph yourself and Dick Tracy. And there was like a Dick Tracy 
um, musical events, oh, wow. you know, that was over in Fantasyland, I think. And they had the Dick Tracy hats and the all the sorts of stuff. So I, I kind of want to say that this may have been one of the first um, comic book type movies that Disney was, you know, the, the franchise I, that Disney I was. I do kind feel of like creating. it being a Disney movie is a big part yeah. of this one being a special blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, it, it was connected with Buena Vista, which was um, kind of a subsidiary of the Disney corporation, but um, yeah, Disneyland definitely had the, the, the merchandising for it. Going back to our, our original conversation of, of merchandising, they definitely were selling hats and selling, you know, the, the, the speakeasy kind of lifestyle there with, without obviously the, the criminal activity. Going it's, still, with it. it's still Disney. <laughs> well, Dyer, I'm dying to hear sort of the behind the curtain about this film. I did quickly go on Wikipedia, which does mention in the same article, it was both um, a box office hit and a box office disappointment. So which is it? What, how did this film do? And why are there no sequels? What happened to Dick Tracy? <laughs> uh, well, gosh, this is the polite answer is the implied answer for that. The polite answer or the implied answer is Warren Beatty was Dick Tracy and Warren Beatty was all already. And I love the guy. It was already an older gentleman when they were making Dick Tracy in the 90s. No offense. But uh, that's how Hollywood works. Um, I would say this is a successful film. I think critics were pretty back and forth on it. Um, but it definitely follows that blockbuster formula. I just mentioned Warren Betty was in it. Al Pacino, Madonna. Um, I thought they did, were great. And all the, the kind of practical right. effects for the makeup was just amazing. So that's one of the reasons why I feel like this film works. Um, every character is comic bookized, right? That's a word I just made up. Uh, but it's done in a way <laughs> that isn't offensive and like uh, insulting to, to the audience. If you wanted uh, a good example of how that doesn't work, I just watched any like Batman movie after Tim Burton was involved um, yeah. in the 90s. It's basically, oh, it's a comic book movie. Just make it a wacky kids thing. You know, they don't take it seriously or they don't treat it as an intelligent work of art. I feel yeah. like with Dick Tracy, they did. And a lot of that is evident in how they did the characters. You know, they got really solid actors. They they got Dustin Hoffman to play a character named Mumbles, who's not a main character, but it's mm -hmm. Dustin Hoffman yeah. playing, yeah. I think, Dick Van Dyke's in it too. So, not only that, the, the other thing that really caught my attention on this, um, you can tell where my head goes with films that like with the storyline for Dick Tracy, I wasn't paying attention to, but I really did pay attention to the wardrobe and the colors that they were using. Yeah. They framed this film like a comic book. Yeah. It looked not just a comic book. It looked like a comic book you would be reading from like the 30s, 40s, 50s, those muted colors in a way that they would actually use in that press. And I think I read somewhere that that wasn't an intentional yeah. thing that they wanted to do. They wanted that wanted you to watch a moving comic book. There was even think, a lot of kind of um, Orson Welles style deep focus that was an right. echoing of the 40s, not from comics, but just of the filmmaking noir style. A lot yeah. of the shots were, were reminiscent of Oh, the of angles that. alone. Yeah, yeah I, 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 would, I would throw somebody in to watch uh, The Big Sleep. That's not an Orson Welles film, but like a film like The Big Sleep and then kind of watch this, you know, mm -hmm. or Evil. For, for example, yeah. watch those and then watch this and watch like the angles and the shadows. Um, 
when you see the fight scenes and no, somebody's not in the actual frame, but you see their shadows fighting. And mm-hmm. that's a very comic book thing to do, especially yeah. from that area when they were worried about kids being influenced by violence. So I felt that that's why it's successful, um, particularly as a piece of art. Um, it's probably also successful because they were making toys at this time and kids were really into it. And you can, was it McDonald's you can go to and maybe get a watch or something like that? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah, so I think that it was a success on that. I think the reason some people say it's not a success, uh, I, I could definitely see film critics being like, you put Madonna in it, you know? Mm-hmm. that's It's Madonna, you know? You, you saw her on MTV, and now she's in a kid's movie. You know, like, that kind of attitude, I'm sure, came into play. But today, watching it, I did feel like it's a Did she write a song success. for it? It looked like the three, it did win three Oscars um, for art direction and makeup and best original song. When the whole movie was going through, I didn't recognize a single tune. So I don't know if that one stood the test of time or what was the original song? I think Elfman was on this film. Danny oh, so Elfman. It was, his, it was his Oscar, not Madonna's. Correct. Yeah, but yeah. I could definitely see Madonna doing some sort of like marketing around this. Oh yeah. I mean, she, she definitely, well, all of the songs that she sung in the, um, all the songs that she sung in the show were ones that were in an album, if I remember correctly. Uh, Madonna did work, uh, her Blonde Ambition tour did work in a Dick Tr- Tracy theme uh, and then kind of played off her Breathless character. Yeah, this, this was that era of like Vogue and um, I'm trying to think of over some of the other um, like a diamonds are a girl's in. best friend riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought One it was the, actually really good casting to be yeah. quite honest. Uh, Dyer, you picked up on something really fascinating, which was the color. Um, anytime that they had used a color for wardrobe or for the background, they use that exact same color throughout the rest of the show. So Dick Tracy's yellow is the same yellow that they use for the background, for cars, for this, because they were thinking about the comic book where you wouldn't have had a uh, you know, shades of yellow. You would have the exact same yellow throughout that comic strip uh, if you were to have seen the original Dick Tracy comics. You know, and where that is a little side factoid, but um a lot of that is drawn from what was actually possible at printing presses of those yeah. days. They yeah. really only used certain colors. They're really, it's not like today where we use a lot of digital and we can kind of mix and match colors and things a little bit more vibrant. Things were vibrant for that one shade of yellow, that one shade of green. Yep. Um, the reason, there's a little side note, the reason the Hulk is green is because I think he originally wanted, my, I believe, to be red, uh, Stan Lee. But when he went into the printing press, none of the colors could actually work to like make an actual full character like a deep color like that. The only color that actually would work was this light green that they were pretend that they could use. Yeah, that's why the Hulk is green. Oh my gosh! How about you that? Know, it wasn't it wasn't an intentional. I think yeah, he originally did want that red in there, but it just yeah. didn't work. Which is funny. Later on, we do get a red Hulk because things evolved and technology changed, and they were actually yeah. able to do that, or a gray Hulk. But um. Yeah, apparently when they tried all the colors, it was just a big ink blob on the page that just would not work. <laughs> but yeah, that totally plays out to Dick Tracy. Yeah. Do you guys enjoy this movie? You guys have probably seen it. I, I'm like I mentioned, I'm I'm sure I saw it when it first came out. You know, one time I do remember the when do we eat? When do we eat? When that played, I was like, oh yeah, yeah the shtick. But that's all that stayed with me over the years. But do you guys think of this as a, a good movie? Like, well, how is this movie thought of in geek culture? Is it ahead of its time? Is it a dud? 
I consider this a product of its time. I, I, it's funny that this is a 1990 film. When I watch this film, it's of the 1930s, but I feel like I'm watching the 90s. And I don't know yeah. if that has more to do with the actors um, or, or what, just the way things were filmed back then, but the, it, it comes across in presentation the way the 90s would view something. It's almost like when you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, that's what they thought the future spaceships would look like. Everybody would have essentially the same furniture people had in their living rooms at that time. Very There's tan, also something those, those kind of zoot suits were, I kind of, right. I, for some reason, I, like New Jack City comes to mind. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there was something of those cuts, even though they're obviously very 40s, that you're right, was was trending then to anyway. Right, it was a very, it was a 1990s lens on the 30s. Um, and maybe that's why I, I love it a little bit. So ultimately, yeah, I do believe this film works, I guess, in that regard. JP, are you a fan? I am so much a fan, but I think it's more for the nostalgia's sake. Um, you know, I watched mm. it again and I was just taken back to California in, in the eighties, no, in the nineties and uh, the temperature being in the nineties as well. And the coolness of, of the movie theater and, and just watching all those characters. Also the score I think was really pronounced uh, for me. It, it was also because Danny Elfman also did uh, Batman. I can't remember if he did it before or after, but it it felt very much like a big blockbuster movie at the time. So yeah, I, I definitely have good memories of it and, and think highly of it. How about you, Ryan? what do you feel? I thought it was great. Like I, I said, I was just really taken in by the art direction and the practical effects for the makeup. And as each new character revealed themselves, I, I was just delighted by it. So yeah, but you know, one was enough. I don't know if there needed to be a, a Dick Tracy empire. I thought they kind of nailed it. And that was, yeah. that was enough for me. I don't know. I did think Warren Beatty was, a, he was, he's very cute, but he was getting a little, a little long in the tooth for, for any sequels. So I get that. Yeah. Can I add one other side note about Dick Tracy and, and, Sure. One of the reasons why I think it works is because just a few years before this, there was another film based on a comic book of the same era called Brenda Starr. Brenda Starr was a, another comic book strip that was put out for decades. I think it was even being put out in the 80s and 90s uh, about a, a journalist, and she would always go off on these grand adventures. They made a film out of it, and it does not work. It's got Brooke Shields in it. It's got Timothy Dalton in it. And it was made in 1989, one year before Dick Tracy. And I, yeah. I would say that the style of the comic book is very akin to Dick Tracy. So you could probably put those together. Like at this time, Hollywood was able to produce Dick Tracy. And then you kind of see Brenda Starr and it's, it's, there's a gap there. So mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why I, I would say that Dick Tracy is quite admirable because you could see how they could totally do it wrong. So it's almost like the, here's how you do it right. Here's how you do it wrong. Yeah. And, and that formula, I wonder, has that formula stuck or did we, did we completely throw it out the, with the baby with the bathwater there and create a whole other type of uh, comic book genre? I think in that time of filmmaking, it was based on the nostalgic aspect of it. Cause if you even watch Superman, uh, yeah. which came out in late seventies, um, they start by looking at a comic book and having a kid reading the comic book. That's right. right. Yeah. And when they do these other comic books through the eighties, it wasn't until really kind of the nineties when we get Batman and, and Tim Burton. Um, actually the first one I think was in the late eighties too, that 
they actually took a little bit more of a sobering or at least just another take on it yeah. and offered something other than, oh, these are just those funny pages that your your parents read and yeah. they're, you know, they complain about how their parents threw them out. And uh, it was a new era, I think, at least in those Tim Burton years. But before then, it was definitely looked at. Let's treat this like a kid kitty book from like back in the day. Well, we usually like to end our show with something we call thoughts on thoughts, but uh, we have a different idea today, which is to kind of talk about uh, blockbuster bombs. I didn't know this until uh, I started talking about this with, with you two. Uh, block, blockbuster, I assumed growing up that it was because it was breaking the block around the theater, right? The line went around the block. Uh, we commonly say that a blockbuster is actually rooted in the 1940s, World War II. It was a, a new class of bombs that they made for the war. And it was named by journalists. This wasn't an official name, but journalists would say that, you know, if we dropped bombs on Germany that were so powerful, they were blockbusters. They would actually destroy an entire block. And somewhere in Hollywood, maybe that term for that, that powerful nature um, maybe a destructive force mm -hmm. like lingered through somebody. And it wasn't until like the 1970s, I think another journalist brought it up again, I think just to describe the power of a, of a film. It could also have been used to describe that at the time people were criticizing Spielberg for ruining Hollywood and ruining films that they, they thought his films were stupid and unintellectual. So maybe, mm. maybe they were throwing it around in that way too, but that's the history of the actual term blockbuster, which I totally was ignorant of. Um, and it's interesting that we call them blockbuster bombs now too, because that is a term of a film, a bomb, a film that totally fails at the box office and, and critically as well. Yeah. So we thought we would end our show with maybe some of our uh, most favorite blockbuster bombs that we've seen in the past. R Ryan, do you have any, any suggestions? Yeah. Well, the, the, the most obvious one that comes to mind is of course, Waterworld, which is a wonderful movie. Oh my that Everything anyone has told you is wrong. That movie's amazing. <laughs> but the other one I'll think I'll give a little shout out to is, um, is Heaven's Gate, the movie that infamously took down United Artists um, back in the seventies, the Michael Cimino film, which I watched maybe in the last 10 years ago. It was not a rewatch since this was before my time, but you know, I, I didn't, I thought it was fine. And if it had done well, I would have probably thought, highly of the movie so i do feel like that one's a little bit overly maligned than it's due for nice nice dyer how about you i, I would just like it on the record that i 100 agree that Waterworld is an amazing film <laughs> i don't care what anybody says mad max on jet skis um yeah, yeah. so I, I, when we were talking about this before we were recording i kind of brought up Independence Day, and we talked about that. So I was trying to think of something in the same era that was akin to it, because I probably could also bring up the sequel, Independence Day. It's yes. too easy, so I'm not going to do it. There was um, a sequel to Independence Day? Came out in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason what? why your mind is blowing right now, because nobody, nobody talked the jaw, about it. My jaw is on the floor. I just, I can't believe this. Ryan Davis, you you are not allowed to talk about pop culture anymore. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm like embarrassed. I'm going to oh, yeah. insist no. that this gets cut out. No, you, you, We should be embarrassed that we know that there was a blockbuster bomb of Independence Day resurgence or resurrection. Oh, Resurgence. it's coming now that Resurgence. you're not calling it. Okay, that yeah. is coming back to me, but not with any interest. So aside from that, I, I thought a film that was akin to this was four years after Independence Day came out, 
year 2000 battlefield earth and it was yes. uh oh JP my is making a face right now everybody at home blockbuster actors john travolta forrest whitaker Barry Pepper. It had Barry Pepper. It oh, had. Oh, I love Barry Pepper. Quite. It had a forty-four million dollar budget, which was actually an independent venture. So that's like quite a budget for something that was independent. And the reason it was independent is because Hollywood didn't want to touch it because it was based on a book by L. Ron Hubbard, and yep, it was yep. trying to be propped up by a bunch of Scientologists. That's a whole other story. But I think it didn't even clear thirty million at the box office. It was not a successful. That's film. the one where John Travolta has sort of like um, the weird hair makeup yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah, John Travolta plays Turl. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. An alien who the alien race, the cyclos basically enslave human beings and for a thousand years use them for labor, but not labor that's too smart. Uh, I can go down a total rabbit hole of the world that yeah. they went through this, but the film story in general is just so bizarre that uh, without going too deep into it, 1,000 years ago, human beings only were able to put up a nine-minute fight, and these aliens took them over and have been mining our planet ever since. And ever since then, we devolved into like a, a primitive society that believes in a whole new myths of gods and all that. But somehow within the span of the two hours of this film, we go from that to learning how to use fighter jets and weapons and guns that are a thousand years old, but still work pretty good. Yep. Um, yep. And we were able to overthrow all these advanced aliens who in the film are actually idiots. So um, yeah. it's just the, the whole premise is just so bizarre by this. And the acting is also really bizarre as, as well. It almost seems like they knew that this film was going to earn a Razzie award. In fact, uh, Battlefield Earth held the record of having the most Razzie awards for 12 years. What was um, it beat by? I, do, I don't know what it was beat by. I would love to see what that is. But uh, that's a good one. Yeah. What I really, the other factoid I love about this film is in 2010, it won Worst Picture of the Decade. This film came out in 2000, which means. <laughs> For an entire decade, Hollywood failed to produce a film that was as terrible as this one, and it won worst film of the decade. So, Battlefield Earth, my box office bomb. Oh, JP, oh. a tough one to beat. What have you uh, got? I've got one. Are you ready? <clears throat> Let me just clear the throat here. Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, and which is saying something because I would have been the target demographic for that. 1993, Bob Hopkins and John Leguizamo playing the Mario Brothers. Um, a pair of, if anyone follows the video game, Ryan, I'm sure you, you remember this. They are a pair of plumbers from New York that are brought to this weird world where uh, dinosaurs and reptiles have um, evolved into a, a, a normal civilized race. Is that... Yoshi in it? Does Yoshi have a character? Oh, no, this is pre, pre-Yoshi. This uh, Actually, I think there may have been a cameo. I don't think they named him. I think there's there... a wink. Is there an audience Yoshi wink? I think there is because there's a dinosaur factor in this film. Is Bowser yeah. in it? Mm, no there's uh all can- right i'm i've lost interest there's no reason to try to convince me now if there's no bowser um um who was the original baddie at the end of the video game king something king koopa K- cobra koopa oh koopa koopa 
King Koopa. That was the the bad guy, and that that was played by another Waterworld alum, evil baddie, um, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. No way! You're kidding yep. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, with uh, kind of like some fake scales, uh, his hair is matted down into these like little scaly reptile-looking things. And uh, I, if I remember correctly, the uh, Super Mario Brothers control pads or some accessory to it uh, showed up in there that he used at some point to order pizza or something like that. Anyways. It was. Let me just be clear now. You're defending this movie now. Oh right no! Now. Oh no! No! no. Okay, oh, I was no, wasn't no. sure. Okay, I was just about to say <laughs> this. This had every trope that you could possibly imagine thrown at it, and I, I remember seeing it once on TV in the last 20 years and just laughing hysterically about how bad this movie was. It's it's funny that there is actually a cult around this film because it supposedly was supposed to be better. And it was cut and trimmed because the studio wanted, you know, more family friendly, yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. In 2021, this year, this is only months old, somebody actually released the extended cut of this film. Are which you inclu- serious? Yeah, it includes a rap song that was cut. I mean, it was. <laughs> yeah, I have not seen it. I have not seen it. I have spoken to those who have, and it seems like it's uh, it's on par with like a plan nine type thing where you get everybody together to watch a really bad film. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah the, the extended cut grew a cult around this particular bad. Oh film. my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I want a four hour version of this movie eventually. Yeah. Actually the, the 2021 version of super Mario brothers, it's just in black and white. That's the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, that will have to do it for this episode. Dyer, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a delight. We'll have to have you back to to talk more geek culture with us. Thank you so much. It has been a delight. Thank you so much for for, uh, getting me not out of my apartment, which I don't leave that much these days, but thank you for getting me virtually out of my apartment. It's a total pleasure. And Dyer, where can people find you on uh, the social medias? Here's the thing. Instead of telling people handles, I do tell them just look up NWNerd on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook because due to some conflicts with the name, it's an underscore here, it's a dash here. Either way, it's going to take you to the spot. And if you want to make it easy on yourself, you can go to nw-nerd.com and it'll take you to all those places. Nice. And you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Indie Arts Voice. And I'm on Twitter at JP Avila. You can find more information about the show on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or on our website at soisopodcast.com. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, review on your platform of choice. And come back next month. Bye for now. Bye for now.